Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Dr. Raghav Vadhira, Lead Technical Architect for AI and Machine Learning Platform and Services at Raytheon Technologies. He holds a PhD in AI and Machine Learning in conversation with Emerge CEO and Head of Research Dan Figella, recorded live at the AI Accelerator Summit in Boston, October 2022. He covers leveling up AI public and private projects through changing leadership mindsets with more and younger talent that helps older systems unlearn lessons from the IT-dominant world. In the process, Raghav offers lessons learned in earning executive buy-in amid challenging stakeholder relationships from throughout his entire career. Without further ado, here's their conversation. So, Raghav, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. Yeah. Our first topic speaks to the world that you're in now. Raytheon is a very big player in the defense space. And I think that a lot of the folks that we speak to at the United Nations or the World Bank or other IGOs, certainly in defense, are concerned around the U.S.'s relative prominence in AI on a global stage. China has a very high level of planning in this domain, a lot of ability to orchestrate public and private sector together. When you think about what the Western world should be doing or thinking about to stay ahead of kind of major competitors, namely China at this point, what are some of those things that come top of mind for you at this point? Good question. Actually, in my opinion, you know, as U.S. as a government, you know, we are a little behind in putting a policy together. China took the lead in that, and they are at the world stage with sheer number of people, the data they collect, and all the investment they are putting into this factor, right? So U.S. Is, uh, and Western countries are noticing this change, and they want to see that they can, they're a little behind in trying to catch up with that. And as you know that, like China has a, it's a 2030 vision. They are almost going to invest $150 billion in this sector. Yeah. Problem with Western countries, especially United States, which I find is that most of the investment goes to DOD or, you know, and then those projects are mostly focused on five-year plan. Like how can we commercialize the AI investment and put it into some kind of defense product or something which we can reuse it quickly and adopt it. And like China, where I'm thinking they have a 10 to 15 years of vision, and they're trying to put a lot of money into a fundamental AI research. And that's a little bit I find we are learning now and we are trying to catch up. Yeah, so I, I guess we can address this first. And this certainly applies to enterprises as well. We're going to move to kind of the enterprise side. But in the world of, of the public sector, there's a longer term visions, potentially the upside of an authoritarian way of running things is you could just kind of, you know, if, if you're going to be running the show until until the end of your lifetime, you get to really think about those longer time horizons. What does it look like to change and extend the time horizons that our public sector considers? You know, we're looking at these very short term sort of, oh, can we level up this one capability as opposed to unlocking data, really rolling out a higher level of, of sort of capability across defense? What does it look like to extend time horizons? What does leadership need to do to make that on par with where China's at? So I think the federal government has, I mean, they have this, I think two, three years back, they established something called JAIC, yep. Joint Artificial Intelligence uh, Committee. They're trying to focus, bring some white papers, some kind of think tank to put a heart to the policy. And recently, I think there is a, there's something called NAIC, National Artificial Intelligence Initiative effort. That's, there's a NAIC Act 2020 and federal government is, uh, 
trying to think that how can we be more inclusive? You know, we can have a more private sector, more academia to be participating into that mission we have. And I think in that direction, we are taking some some leads. But 85% of funding still goes to DOD and like companies like Raytheon and all to, you know, do some research, which is very strategic, very defense focused. So what I feel is that we have to go back to the John F. Kennedy mandate, right? But we had a moonshot. We had to open up this research and more funding towards more universities, more private partnership, so that they can have much more fundamentally AI research. And it's it's getting there, but like that's what I think we, we have to move on. So if I'm hearing you correctly, and I think this will be an interesting kind of tee off as we get into lessons for the enterprise leaders, you're mentioning that you'd like to see more of an emphasis of this hard R and D in universities and in, in the smaller private sector versus just specific defense projects? Or what would it look like if, if things were changed the way that you'd like to see it? So for example, Google, right? Google yep. had fused back some of you who have noticed with Google, they had some unique initiative for their employees. They give them free time and money to work on something that they like to do, right? And that was very successful. Like they were building something which they said, go figure it out something and we will see how we can apply it to the real world, right? For example, long back when we, I don't know if some of you were there, when Xerox Spark was very innovative, right? So the challenges that Xerox Spark failed that they couldn't, they had some research, but they couldn't channelize it to the real, real market, right? Yeah, yeah. So what I think is that they have to do more deeper partnership with the academia, right? They have to fund some fundamental research, some real AI innovation so that they can, you know, bring it back to the to the strategic thing that how we can use it for further, you know, advancement of AI. And that is what I think the government is thinking about that. I'm going to tee up this question that's going to help us transition into lessons for enterprise leaders. And this is really around thinking at that higher strategic level. You know, as you'd mentioned, a lot of projects right now are pinpointed and many of our enterprise listeners here are also seeing AI show up in these little isolated popcorn projects. No real emphasis on lifting capability, just sort of little experiments in dark corners that have a very, very small chance of actually creating any transformation. In the public sector, this is an even bigger problem, of course. And a lot of the barriers that that we see, public and private, is that leadership just doesn't quite have a crystalline vision of sort of what would it look like to be more data enabled? What would it look like to leverage AI? Let's say 10, 20 years in the future, what, what would we be able to do? Unless that's in mind, we can't think longer term. But of course, that education, we, we call kind of executive AI fluency, that's a long, slow, sloggy process. And you've probably talked to some big deal leaders who are very brilliant with understanding AI strategic value and others who are like, wholly ignorant of it, but they still control big budgets. What does it look like in the public sector? We're going to take this to private in a second. In the public sector, to lift that fluency, what's going to be the process? Working with consultants, getting educated. Nobody wants to think they need to get smarter about AI, but until they do, projects are going to be small. What does it look like to level that up? I think it's it's a mindset, right? The leadership in the public sector, they have, they're catching up now and they don't have to think the way they used to think in the past, like, you know, the enterprise projects they used to build upon. I mean, I, in my opinion, wherever there is a data, there is a big chance that we can apply a lot of intelligence to, you know, do a lot of predictions, do good research on how we can benefit for the company and ROI. So to answer your question, as I said, mindset is one thing. Second thing is that we have to bring some young leadership, some more, you know, people who are adopting this technology into their industry and how they can learn from lessons like from other companies. What I see the, the industry is lacking is that they have a vision, they have a fund, but 
they don't have a roadmap. Like they are trying to catch up or they're trying to copy how others are successfully adapting it, especially in some of the companies in the United States we find. Like everybody's in this race of AI, but they don't know what exactly their mission is, what exactly they want to achieve, what is their five, 10 years plan, how they want to leapfrog their industry to that direction. So that I think they need to relearn something and they have to unlearn some of the old lessons they had. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the how on that. Because I think we all, I think anybody who's relatively AI fluent and exists within a big stodgy organization is fully aware that by golly, AI is not IT. And by golly, yeah. we really need to be thinking about levels of capability that take us towards, you know, somebody on stage recently had said a North Star aim. We use that term often. I like that term. So we've got to have a roadmap, a bigger picture of vision. But at the same time, there's a lot of egos involved here. It's very hard to walk in. You know, we talk to very high level people at a, a Cognizant or an Accenture, when they're selling AI to the C-suite, there's a real tactful process for making it feel like co-creation, even if 80% of what we're doing is like, let's make sure that they understand what AI can do and can't do, right? 80% of what they're doing is just level setting basic stuff, like what this stuff does. Very dangerous ego-wise to kind of go in and say, you guys are behind the times, we need to build out a roadmap, right? So getting people to the place where they can think strategically it's dangerous in terms of getting pushed out because of people's egos. It's very slow going. Are there any things that you think would help us get there? You know, the public sector needs this. They need that level up, but it's easier said than done. What do we need to do? I think they're all looking for validation. Like who's going to be the first starter? For example, you take defense industry, right? We have spent a lot of money into, there's so, so many IRAT research projects we have. We try different ideas. We try to plan things. We try to see there are successful pilots. But it's very hard to implement the real scenarios, especially with the trust in AI. They want to make sure that the predictions the AI models are making, they have a very high confidence fidelity. I mean, there's a big saying in defense sector that, you know, we, we don't want to give machines to finally decide what to do next. Like, course, for, yeah, like yeah, any, yeah. any wrong button they push can start third world war, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So same thing is in the private sector. They want to make sure that, you know, there's an ROI, like the, the high heads, you know, we talk about ego and all. They don't want to take risk. They want to make sure that, you know, somebody in that industry has done something. And once they see that something proven has come out, there is some ROI, then they try to catch up. So what I feel is that the innovation is missing. They want to have a cookie cutter approach, like somebody has done it. Let's follow that path. And the whole thinking head, which you talked about, senior leadership, they are not, in my opinion, they're catching up there, but they're not there yet to understand the whole fundamental leverage, the power AI can bring into their company. So is it possible, do you think, at all to get them out of cookie cutter thinking? In other words, let's go second, you know, right? Because if you're, if you have a fiefdom within a very large organization, maybe you don't want to be the innovator and push forward. There's very few, very large companies that can do that. Do you think it's possible or do you think we're always going to operate under this? Everybody's going to try to follow the leader and look at what Amazon's doing and go second. Yeah. Is, is, should that be seen as the inevitable world we're operating in, especially in the public sector? In terms of leadership perspective and philosophy. Uh, it, it's partially true. These AI projects are very, like they're expensive. For and sure. The predictability of being a successful project is like not, not great. there. Like it's like failure rate is more than a success of rate, course. right? So they all, as you said, are following the big leaders like Google, Microsoft, yeah. Amazon, what they're doing, how they're adopting it. But having said that, there are a lot of smaller startups in Silicon Valley and Boston area and all I found. They are taking a leapfrog. They are putting some risk there. And, and, you know, with, with the partnership, like a lot of academia, like I know when I was working at MIT Lincoln Labs, some of the folks, they tried something. They said, okay, let's start a company. 
because they were having a hard time to get it funded through the government. So there are some winners and losers, but as I said, either I see in the big companies, they are taking a leap and they are making concrete steps towards adopting AI or the startups. Middle tier company, like I don't want to name, but for example, Fidelity, Straight Seed, all these banks and all, they are risk covered. They want to make sure that, you know, somebody has a proven concept, yeah. proven results, and then they want to follow that leader. Then there's, there's obviously challenges with that. So let's, let's pivot into what's directly applicable to the enterprise world. We're already doing a bit of that. When you think about some of the lessons you've learned in AI adoption in the public sector, I've often said that if enterprise people want to see the extreme versions of their problems, so culture change, workflow change that are required for AI adoption, they should look at the public sector because the, those issues are way bigger when you're look, working with something as big as the DOD or, you know, the government in general. What are some of the lessons you've learned in adopting AI in the public sector, which is very hard, that you think more enterprise people should know because they're worthwhile lessons that will help other people push projects to success? What have, what have you learned in the public space? So I think if I understand your question correctly, yes. you're asking me how a public sector can have better adaptability, well, right? What have you learned about AI adoption in the public sector? So within maybe the DOD or, or the government in general that would apply to the enterprise that you think more enterprise leaders should know? I think. The public, some of the big public, which I know of, they are willing to put some risk there. They have some budget, and if the projects are failing, they're okay, they're learning, their lessons learned, and they try to do next time better. So there's no failure. The failure is going to teach them how better they can do next time. So I think government is looking into that, and unfortunately, things are very slow in, in DOD and government sector. So what, what I found that Amazon, Microsoft, Google, they are now participating directly with government and defense and they are you know they have their division which are going to cater some of their needs we have and we are not moving fast enough so there yes we are learning we are adopting there in defense sector or in government but i feel that the private sector is you know reaching out to us and there is a partnership i see it's a very good fusion where private public is you know they're trying to bring their own expertise their own experience their own product and then from the dod or from defense side we are looking at how can we adopt this better you know so it's a speed is a case. Like, as we said, we have to, you know, go against China or other countries who are the government has a mandate. They are trying to reach out and bring this product into adopting into their domain very fast. We are doing the reverse. We are like trying to reach out to the public sector and see, okay, what do you, what do you've got? We have this problem. If they have a good solution, we are adopting that faster. So I think in a way, there is a shift from the government side that, you know, we are now opening our doors to these private companies yeah. and trying to understand their product and see if we can benefit faster than just putting six years, 10 years money into that. And then maybe, maybe we'll, we'll get something better. Yeah. And you'd mentioned early on that you're seeing in some areas of the public sector, which I know is by its very nature slow in some of these domains, there's a mindset where experimentation failure is okay. And that's obviously a very big culture change, right? AI is different than IT. We're talking about something that's probabilistic, not deterministic. It takes a bunch of stomach to be able to really make investments there. It sounds like you're seeing some pockets in the public sector where people are willing to experiment. Has that mostly been a consequence of the right leader who gets it, who understands AI? Is it a consequence of having a whole department with a certain amount of technical talent so that they they all sort of understand things? What creates a culture where experimentation is allowed? Because I'm sure many of the enterprise folks that are tuned in, they wish they could fail a little bit to try to make some progress, right? They haven't seen any of that culture change. When you look at these pockets where experimentation is allowed, what are they doing right that's made that culture possible? 
I think, as I said in the beginning, like big companies have that budget and stomach to adapt that risk, right? So nobody has a proven product. I mean, we are coming up, like a lot of companies are coming up into the space and they're bringing up these products to do, to solve different problems. You know, for example, like I know one of the companies in Silicon Valley, I was working, we were working with called C3 AI. Yep. So they have these models. I don't know if you've heard about them. They yeah, have different sure, models sure. and they say, okay, this is a model for energy sector. This is a model for defense. This is a financial sector. So they are creating all these models. They have certain predictability. They vouch for certain confidence into their results. But so, you know, no, when you talk about public companies, nobody wants to go to a dark hole. Like they don't know where to go. I mean, as I said, the senior leadership is not very aware of the power and, and how to put together a right team and right, right research into what they want to do exactly. So they're looking for others, you know, if they have a product, it's proven somebody has used it, we will adapt it. And then we'll do some little bit of research on, around that area and see how can we make it better. But I still see that we are not there yet where companies are putting that energy, that kind of roadmap to do the fundamental research on. And that's not their bread and butter. This is like AI's enabler. It's not their focus to work on. So yeah. So yeah, the short answer is that what you said, I like to see that the public sector is opening up, the mindset is changing, but I still, they're still lacking there. Of course they are in essentially every damn industry and, you know, period, public sector, obviously top of that heap. You brought up something about teams. You talked about they're not really aware of how to build a good cross-functional AI team. They don't know what kind of talent mix they need. When you think about what they should understand, and this could be this could be a fidelity, it could be a Raytheon public or private. Right. You know, you've seen some projects work out. You've seen plenty of projects completely flop because right. people set themselves up for failure. Extremely common in the AI space. What should senior leadership know about building an AI team? They've got a big initiative. You know, AI is not their bread and butter, but they've got a big initiative to reduce fraud, reduce churn, improve upsell, cross sell, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. What do they need to be thinking about from a staffing and leadership perspective of those projects to give them a higher chance of success? Because like you said, a lot of them don't know how to build a team. What should they know? Good question. Actually, and these are the challenges every company is facing now. For sure. There is a limited pool of talent. This, this field itself is very new, like 10, 15 years max. I can think about people like lastly, five to seven years more. People are getting more knowledgeable, more talent pool. We are increasing industries are having more, you know, courses related to AI. A lot of so recruiting a right talent and getting a right people around and working them together is, is a challenge which everybody faces, even including our company. I know that. At Raytheon, we have this AI Institute where we are funding and we are encouraging people to go and take courses and do a master's or PhDs in AI and help mm. us back, you know, and we'll reward them. So that's the challenge that we have very limited pool of people and recruiting right people, having that same attitude to put their knowledge into some kind of research. Because as I said, the, the product space is very limited. A lot of people don't have much of the depth or experience in building those bulletproof AI products, I would sure. call. And as and the, so the challenge with the leadership is that they don't want to adapt something which is not proven. They don't want to risk it that. It's all, it's all profit-driven, Wall Street-driven companies. So putting the right staff, training them, creating that culture, like back in you know 2000 when we had this startup culture, the whole e-commerce boom came up, right? I think that's what the mindset has to come back, You know, give them some freedom, give them some budget, give them real problem, try to adopt them and see, you know, early how things go. Adopt, you know, they have to stomach some risk to see how, you know, things will come to the market. 
you brought up a really interesting point. This will be our last one before we pass to some questions from the audience here. But you talked about Raytheon encouraging AI education within the organization. Yeah. We are seeing some of this that I consider to be very, very promising. There, we had a guest from SAP who's an AI leader there who talked about they have kind of an AI ambassadors program where they take different people who are trying to apply AI. Some of them are very technical. They're writing the code. Some of them are more project leaders. So it's a mix of technical and non-technical. It's a mix of all different functions, product, marketing, finance, et cetera. And they have different little speaking events where they all get together. They have different physical events where they talk. Once a month, they facilitate calls and kind of share lessons learned. Right. And they're trying to build fluency in a very deliberate way within an enterprise, which for me is extremely promising. I think there's ways to waste money there, but I think there are ways to make that very productive. What is happening there in terms of what Raytheon is encouraging? Because I think more companies that aren't quite Raytheon size, eventually they're going to need to do this. They're going to need to encourage people to level up. What are they doing there that you think other companies could learn from? So I, I can speak about Raytheon. So what happened is last year we merged. So Colonnade Space, United Technology, and a few other companies merged and they became part of Raytheon Umbrella. So they all were doing their independent research in the field of AI and machine learning. And Raytheon decided to have, just like I remember when I was working at Fidelity, they have this central architecture group. So they, they decided there's a lot of duplication of work going on and we have talent which is not very focused and it's not aligned with the company vision in the future for AI. So what they are doing is they have their AI Exploration Institute. They are promoting a lot of, you know, the conferences within the company. They are doing a lot of knowledge sharing. There is a whole program where people can go in while work because the, the thing is like we have people who experience doing the product and doing the they understand the problem domain very well, but they lack the skills to build those products around AI. So they are encouraging those people to go and, you know, have some degree or courses or certificate programs. They are also having expertise within the company to help them coach and a lot of mentorship, a lot of internship. These all, they're approaching this problem from all directions. And so we have some success, you know, we have started seeing some benefit. Now these people who are coming as SMEs, they are going into different products. They're helping them, you know, shape this product and in the data they're collecting, how can we use to predict things better? So for example, one of the projects I was working on, much more unclassified, right? You know, they're trying to understand how our aircrafts, which are deployed in Qatar, for example, how can we learn from all the experience and all the data we have collected that we can predict when the maintenance is due? Or for example, when the aircraft is flying from US to Japan and, you know, they're still their craft, they have to be refueled in the air. How better we can plan things in the past, which we have collected data too, that the tanker could fuel them in the right way to save millions of dollars to Air Force. So now I see that, that knowledge is now, you know, is applied and we are seeing the benefit. And slowly, as I said, it's creeping up and the leadership is understanding that, yes, that makes sense. You know, we should, we should apply that. So, so Raytheon, as I said, in particular is, heavily invested in AI and we are trying to promote this from all sides. Interesting. I'm just going to put, I'm going to lay a couple things on the table that you said, make sure I'm not missing anything and we're going to pass it over. One of the big lessons that we had the, the global head of AI at IBM, a fellow by the name of Seth Dilbrin on the show not terribly long ago. And he talked about when it comes to leveling up fluency, kindling the people that already have enthusiasm and being able to make sure that they can keep that enthusiasm going within our company, add value with those new skills in our company, actually keep them because plenty of people are going to you know, as soon as they graduate from Georgia Tech or Stanford, they're going to go right into the big tech companies. Or if they get excited and they're in a company that's not doing anything with AI, they're going to leave. So kindling this is so important. You talked about a few things. One is 
listing and encouraging attendance at events. So here's different events you can go to being able to support people leveling up in terms of degrees and certifications. So kind of having a menu of those and saying, Hey, if you want to do these, we're going to support you. And then you also mentioned having internal mentorship. So maybe other AI people that are working in marketing or product or whatever can, can learn from each other. Are there any ingredients I'm missing that some of our audience might be able to use in terms of this internal effort to lift fluency? I think you've covered all, but one special thing I want to talk about is that, so for example, Air Force, I was working on one of the Air Force projects. So right in Boston, they said, okay, people do not want to come and work for government, right? Because they get much more paid, much more valued. They have much better projects to do. So they said, okay, we will have our own startup kind of scenario. And I think I was working on a project, Kessel Run, where they created pretty much like a startup kind of field for young minds to come and join us. So they were... People, I know some people from MIT or some other good schools, they were very happy to work and they had that same culture. They were promoting as if, it, as if it's not like a very tight button garment job or Air Force job. They can all have little freedom. They can feel that they're in a Silicon Valley. And so that's something which I feel that they have to loosen up a little bit. They have to give these three young minds the same benefit at, and leverage that they feel that, oh, working at Google or working at Amazon is like more fun. You know, there's much more yeah. freedom they have to work on. So I think government is listening to that. They are trying to create these silos. There are some kind of uh, boutique, you know, I wouldn't call a shop, but like different, different islands of excellence they're trying to call, which are insulated from the red, red tape of government and they're allowing them to work and solve our problems. So I think that's something cool. they're catching up. Another, another element to lifting element to that, Understood. Right. Okay, great. Well, Raghav, thank you so much for our formal proper interview here. And without further ado, we can tackle some questions from the audience. If anybody has any questions for Raghav around the topics and themes we've chatted about. Good question, right? Ethicals, yes. Defense, we have to be very careful. For example, if a few years back, there was a conflict between Israel and Palestine, and you saw that that by accident, they bombed some building, which they thought it was a terrorist place or something, and it was a hospital or a children's school, right? What not? So we have to be very careful, like, especially I was talking about that, you know, let machine predict what uh, in our decision-making process, in the whole kill chain, we want to make sure that when we predict something, it's the trust in AIs or explainability, the two faces we are trying to look into that. And that's what's slowing us to adapt AI into a defense sector. So we have to be like, if a model is predicting something like, let's say this is a adversary's uh, kind of a terrorist camp or something, for example, how much we are sure about that. So the model, how did you reach to that conclusion? For example, if we are trying to, let's say a drone is using a lot of AI computer vision kind of thing, and they want to strike to some tank or some, you know, aircraft or whatnot. So they have to make sure that the model which has predicted that is a target to neutralize. How can we reach to that conclusion? What kind of process was there? How did the model said this is what they're claiming is, is what kind of confidence factor we have? So the explainability is one part and the trust that the model we are trusting, how sure we are. So these are the things we have to put in conjunction with ethics that, you know, we don't make mistakes because mistakes are expensive. They can start conflict in the world. So I'm tackling ethics from that point of view that, you know, how AI should be enabler for defense, not to create more problems in the world, more, more chaos, which already is in the world, like, you know, and, 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 you know, they should, the, the, the AI models, we you know, when we, when we predict something, I mean, how much they are ethic based, how much decision making they're 
the, the commanders are going to take is, you know, there should be more towards protection and towards helping a country, not to create more chaos. So I don't know if I'm trying to answer correctly, but oh, there's a big, big legal thing. I mean, yes, there are regulations there. And, and these are all the things which the big heads are thinking about. And I'm not privy to that, but yes, they all mandates that. For example, drones, you know, you know that U.S. has strong policy that you cannot fly the drone open. You have to have license, a lot of things. So same thing is there in AI, like the whole JAIC, I talked about joint artificial intelligence community, which DOD has formed four or five years back. They are looking into all these aspects. And so, yeah, that's true that we have to, things go slow. We did, it's not like in a private sector, we can create something, we can adapt it fast. We have to make sure that it goes through the whole channel, regulatory channel, they approve it, and then we can deploy it. All right. Well, we're just going to be up on time, so we'll have to wrap on that. I think ending on the note of hoping that AI creates less chaos in the world. Who knows 30 years from now exactly where we're going to land as it gets stronger, but I think it's a, a worthwhile aspiration and a point worth ending on. So we're just up on time. Thanks, everybody, for being here. And Raghav, thank you so much thank for you. joining Wrapping up today's episode, I found much of what Dr. Vadhira and Daniel talked about today very relevant to a conversation that we had on the podcast not too long ago with Shannon Clark, Senior Vice President of Federal and R&D at Palantir, talking all about the different challenges of trying to update legacy systems, especially within DOD and the federal government. I think just very much along the lines of not just public-private partnerships, not just legacy systems, but systems that we all depend on as citizens of the United States. So we're very, very familiar with them and their need to be updated. And I think for our business leaders in the audience, they uniquely understand the challenges of updating those systems, especially when it's just the private sector. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast.